2: My Seven Chakras, episode 247. We are not mad, we are human, and someone must forgive us for the paths we take to love. For the paths are many and dark, and we are ardent and cruel in our journey. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head, for thousands of years. This ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers, and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My Seven Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jay Kumar.
1: What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, the show where we dive deep into the ancient world and to uncover nuggets of wisdom that will. Transform your life. So if you're new to this show and to the chakras, then I want to welcome you to my seven chakras. You are in for a treat of an episode today. But before that, let's listen to one of our Facebook group contributors of the month, Michael. He writes, Hi, all fellow Action Tribe members. My name is Michael. I am from Hertz in the UK. I'm a father to a wonderful six year old daughter. Uh, I found AJ and my seven chakras after the death of my mom in September. I've been skeptical about many things when I first listened as I was unsure about what I wanted for myself. I've had bad times since I was eight when my dad tried to kill me and I've dragged myself up before. But after my mom died, I felt at my lowest, empty and lost. I've been searching for answers to heal myself through all the pain, but I have actually realized the thing I want to improve most as a person is myself and to be a great father to my daughter Charlie, a better brother to my sister Jane whilst being a better person and trying to help others. My journey in self-improvement has only just started and as much as I wished I had found AJ and the Action Tribe in better circumstances, I feel I found you all at the right time. I am forever grateful for reading your posts, encouragement, uh healing friendship and love so Michael thank you for being an active and valuable member of our action tribe Facebook group you make a big difference to our community action tribe if you uh, uh, like your story to be shared out as well then make sure you join our action tribe group our Facebook group that consists of supportive members who will hold space for you to share ask questions learn and and take action. Every month, I select a handful of contributors of the month from within our group. People who inspire, share resources, answer questions, comment, and show their best selves. Who knows, you might be one of our next contributors of the month as well. To join us, visit my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. That's my7chakras.com forward slash tribe. And with that, let's bring on our special guest for today, Ira Israel. So Ira, are you ready to inspire?
2: I'm ready to inspire, AJ.
1: Great. So Ira Israel is the author of How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You Are an Adult. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist and professional clinical counselor ira graduated from the university of pennsylvania and holds advanced degrees in psychology philosophy and religious studies his dvd series, including a beginner's guide to happiness and mindfulness for depression along with his sold-out easelin workshops have given him a wide international following so thanks a lot for joining us today ira it's so great to have you here
2: it's great to be on your show. Thank you so much, AJ.
1: Wonderful. So like we always do, let's begin with some inspiration. Uh, what is your favorite inspirational quote these days and how do you apply it in your life?
2: Well, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I really love this quote by Leonard Cohen. He says, we are not mad. We are human and someone must forgive us for the paths we take to love. For the paths are many and dark and we are our ar- and cruel in our journey so for me i mean that summarizes a lot of the things that i teach about because i say that all we want is to be loved unconditionally and then we have these these egos these tools and they're primarily tasked with having us gain love conditionally so we're basically uh, you know, set up to create resentments and all these things that end up causing our own suffering. So, you know, that mm-hmm. always inspires me to realize that, at at the bottom line, uh, most people who are you know not sociopaths uh, really just want to be loved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful quote right there. Actually, tribe, if you think about it, uh, it's it's really profound. We are not mad; we are human, and intrinsically deep down you know and and we're going to explore uh, and and talk about the our inner child as well but all of us want to be loved unconditionally without any condition that's all we want to be loved and we're going to learn what this actually means so let's uh, begin Ira what inspired you to write your new book how to survive your childhood now that you're an adult
2: Well, there's an epidemic in North America of depression and anxiety, and also we now there's an opioid epidemic. There's really, you know, so for me, I, as I state in the book, um, I don't believe that there's some rogue gene that causes people from North America to, you know, suffer from depression. I want to look at the basic underlying tenets that buttress our society, which are capitalism, uh, religion, uh, the myth of romantic love, which I examine in uh, in the book and science. So Mm -hmm. for me, you know, like, um, everything that we consider to be normal right now, you know, in 500 years, people look back on us like the the way we look back on cavemen. So so, uh, I'm looking for the unintentional ramifications of the way we interact with each other. And that's why I go uh, very deeply in the book into examining, you know, the American, American dream and, and capitalism and, you know, uh, ownership and all the things that we consider to be normal that will bring happiness. But, you know, in the end, they they really don't.
1: Got it. Now, you mentioned that uh, your book uh, will help readers surf the apparent paradoxes in life. So I'm sorry. what are some paradoxes that exist in our, life, in our life?
2: Well, this is fascinating to me. So, um, you know, so I have a degree in philosophy and um, there's a there's a. Uh, a problem in that you can't say there's no such thing as truth, because what you're actually saying is there's one proposition that's true, that all others are false. So Nietzsche gets around this by this incredible aphorism. He says, we have art, lest we perish of the truth. We have art, lest we perish of the truth. So for me, there's no such thing as truth out there. You know, we're we're constantly, as I said, we're 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 reframing our paradigms and shifting the way we think about things. You know, every like five, ten years, I, I make I, I make a joke in the book, and I say, you know, if you if you went back to the 1970s and tried to explain to my grandmother that someday there would be transgender bathrooms and marijuana right. would be legal and a black man would be president and gay people could marry. She would have said no, you know, like that's never going to happen. And all those things have happened. So, you know, times have changed and para- surfing the paradoxes of life means for me seeing the absurdity in, uh, you know, how theatrical our political system has become or um, just the way people... Uh, are doing business with each other, and and you know, constantly seeking to enlarge their little turfs of power, and mm-hmm. you know, always trying to uh, um, climb their way up the scrap heap of of, of uh, you know of power. Um, and and you know, we still have to partake in society just because all of these things are ephemeral and changing and absurd it doesn't mean you know you get to sit in bed and eat licorice and do nothing all day i mean i mean i mean, i hope that people i inspire people to be incredibly proactive and want to make a difference and want to make the world a better place
1: got it and as you were sharing those experiences those those, those uh references with me what came to my mind is as on today we know and science and uh, the medical uh industry proves that uh smoking can You know, get you cancer, right? If you smoke too much, especially. Uh, But about 60 years back, maybe, I've heard that doctors used to recommend cigarettes. And uh, you should say that cigarette smoking is good for you, but things have changed. And that's so interesting. Uh, Thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, Now, I'm curious, how did you get into psychotherapy? What's the story behind that?
2: Well, in 1985, there was a car accident. I was in the passenger seat and I was really badly injured. Uh, my face was blown off my head, and mm-hmm. my femur was shattered, and um, so that set me on a journey that took about 25 years. The first part of that journey was studying philosophy, existentialism, sure. um, you know, what's the meaning of life, who am I, why are we doing these things, and I ended up at, um, in Paris and where I spent three years studying uh, film, literature, art, music and then at the end of that time, I was in Thailand, and I got hurt, and a a woman healed me with her hands, Uh, there was no hospital on the island, and um, that set me off studying Buddhism, Hinduism, um, Kabbalah, mindfulness, yoga, and then after about another eight years, um, I got into to a very intense dysfunctional relationship, and that got me studying psychology. So for me, it's all been, you know, it all falls under the rubric of aesthetics, which in Greek means that which is felt. So for me, I'm constantly, you know, whether it's studying philosophy or spirituality or Eastern philosophy or psychology, it's all about um people and our motivations and our understanding and you know um how can we just make uh, living more harmonious
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now now like you mentioned you know you 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 spend a part of your life studying uh, these different uh, spiritual traditions and i've read that you have a degree in religious studies too right so how has that knowledge of influenced your work in psychotherapy
2: oh uh, uh, very profoundly firstly i mean i espoused the philosophy of advaita vedanta uh, Right. shankara and um and but i also i, s- I sat with his holiness uh, the dalai lama uh, many occasions and so that's my yamaka buddhism so for me um you know buddhist psychology and their understanding of the human mind in particular i mean it's it's incredibly simple uh and that's why i like it so much uh buddhist psychology you know mm. you're the, the root of all suffering is desire. Your mind is constantly trying to cling to positive experiences and avert negative ones. And it, it's the clinging and aversion that actually ends up causing suffering because they don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, like life's going to happen the way it's going to happen. So if you try to cling to the good things and, and avert the bad things, you're going to always be disappointed. So that's why I um, advocate that we all you know try authenticity meaning you know mm-hmm. being in the present moment and when great things are happening you know know that they're not going to last and when bad things are happening you know also know that they're not going to last as opposed to trying to you know uh walk them off or or avert them in, in some ways so for me i have a con- view of the universe, which is given to me by um, Advaita Vedanta, and then mm-hmm. uh, on a micro level, I love Buddhist psychology. So, um, I mean, I, and, and to go off the deep end, I actually studied um, parapsychology at Duke University in 1996 at the Rhine Research Center. And for me, hearing Shankara's um, exposition of Vedanta and ha- their understanding of Brahman and Atman and Maya. Uh, and samsara really just, like, made sense to me. So um, I I fully believe that all practitioners need to understand what paradigm resonates with them, whether they believe in a god, whether that god um, has certain powers, or they believe in fate, or they believe in uh, atheism, and then, you know, they're the the generation of all... um, uh, actions and things so it's um you know we all have to take some time and decide how we believe the universe is operating so we can have mm. an understanding of why things happen to us whether it's like winning the lottery you know or getting hit by a car you know you like, it's a it's a really interesting thing because a lot of times you know people thank god when they win the lottery or good yeah. things happen but if you believe that that if, that if there's this omnipotent power directing things then you also have to you know look at uh, what's happening in 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 all the places in the world today where people People are being killed, you know, and because that, that, it's the same force, but we all have to have an understanding of how the universe is operating and then how we're going to interact with that.
1: Mm-hmm. So a lot of great points over here. Action Tribe, I hope you are listening. This too shall pass. Whether it's a good experience, it too shall pass. Whether it's a bad uh, situation in your life that you're going through right now, it will pass. And uh, as humans, uh, like we're learning today, we tend to want to attract or look forward to only the good experiences but tend to avoid the struggle in life. But if you live a life of authenticity, it's about, uh, you know, just being objective and uh, uh you know looking forward to whatever life brings you and that's where understanding how the universe comes into play so uh, uh ira you uh, uh you refer to the advaita vedanta a lot in your book and you've just spoken about that uh we've not spoken much about advaita vedanta in our in our previous episode so what got you interested in that philosophy
2: well again it was um studying parapsychology and so para I means Beyond and yeah. all the things that are that don't fit into our paradigm um, do fit into other paradigms. So, I mean, if you want me to, I can explicate Advaita Vedanta for your listeners. Does that interest you?
1: Yeah, that would be wonderful.
2: <laughs> okay, great. So, the first term there's five terms. Um, the first one in and this is in my book, there's a whole chapter on it. Um, the first one is Brahman, and the best English translation of the word Brahman I've heard is that without attributes. Meaning, if you can think it, it's not it. Um, you, like, there are analogies, like we've all seen the film The Matrix, or, you know, you can think of it as um, everythingness, uh, let's say, right? So that's Brahman. And the second term is Atman, and that best translates in English as soul. I mean, when you see it all in the, in the Hindu scriptures and literature, and it's always as uh, self with a capital S. So you can think of it as a higher self or a soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's Atman. The third term is samsara, which is the wheel of reincarnation, right? And um, so uh, I studied when I was at Duke, uh, Ian Stevenson, Dr. Ian Stevenson, was the head of psychiatry at the the University of Virginia for 25 years, and he documented countless cases of children who remember their past lives. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, statistically, only 25% of Americans uh, believe in, in in reincarnation, but, you know, again, this is a, you have to uh, have an understanding of how the universe is uh, operating, and either, you know, we have souls, and those souls, you know, transmigrate, or we don't have souls. So, again, right. have, this, this is a belief system. So, um, the third term is samsara, the fourth term is maya, and... I translate that as illusory, not illusion. There's a a, a pejorative tone to the word illusion, but illusory really encompasses what we were just talking about, meaning ephemeral. So it means that everything's passing, essentially, right? So that's maya. It's just like whatever you perceive through your five senses is passing. It's, It's ephemeral. It's fleeting. So that's maya. And then uh everybody knows the fifth term, which is karma. So um the karma is just the law of action and reaction. So in Vita Vedanta, the tools of yoga and meditation are employed. Well, not not so much yoga the way we practice it, but just uh you know, these tools are employed to help us transcend Maya, go to the other side of our thoughts so that we can realize that Atman, our souls, are at one with Brahman. So uh, it's not a great translation, the word uh, uh, realize, like in French, means just like merge. So um, again, we use these tools of yoga and meditation to transcend Maya, to go to the other side of our thoughts, so that, that we can realize that we are divine or we are interconnected or, you know, we are whatever it is that you cannot put into language. So for mm-hmm. me, it's really fascinating, but when I, if you're sitting there in the Hindu lineage and you're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm meditating, I'm meditating, I'm meditating, I'm meditating, you're not meditating. Because if it if it exists in words, you're not tasting the nectar because all the real... <sighs> all the really important things are nonverbal. So for me, I don't believe that there's a permanent state of enlightenment and that's why I never use that word in the book. There's there's states of uh, awakening and when we meditate or when we do yoga, we get a taste of that nectar, a taste of that sweetness beyond mm. our thoughts. So so what I the way I look at things is that our thoughts are really causing all of our all of our problems. right Right. because because we we can control our actions and reactions and that's what really will help us keep um at the high end of our happiness spectrums knowing that we're responsible for the way we react to things right um i make a um yeah so that's so so that's what i'm i'm trying to um inspire people to do is take responsibility for their own emotional experiences and realize that through um, being able to tame their faults in a certain way that they can, um, you know... Uh have better experiences.
1: Well, thanks a lot for providing that uh, wonderful foundation for today's interview. So many uh, interesting concepts that our listeners can now uh, investigate more. Of course, you expound them in your book as well. But we're learning about Brahman, Atman, Sansar, Maya, and Karma. Uh, uh, And so having said that, you've written that many of the characteristics we develop in order to get our emotional and psychological needs met as children And now hindering us Uh from getting the love we desire as adults. So could you uh, explain that or give an example of that?
2: So we develop a false self uh, in order to try to get our emotional needs met as children. Babies want to eat eat when they're hungry, play when they're playful, poop when they have to poop, and uh, sleep when they're tired. And what we do very quickly is put them on adult schedules, you know, sleep. Sleeping time is from 7 to 5, and nap time is from 12 to 1, and feeding time is at 7, 11, and 6. And so um, these children have to learn to put away their own desires of playing when they're playful and sleeping when they're tired and get on to these adult schedules because what we're trying to do for the first 18 years of a child's life in America is make it a productive member of society. You know, we're teaching sure. it We're teaching it biology, and we're teaching it math, and it has to, you know, go to school from 7.30 to 3.30, and then do homework. And I, it, we really need to totally reevaluate our educational system and the way we're raising children because, I mean, the the percentage of kids who are stressed out of their minds because of all the pressure on them to get into good colleges, uh, it, it's really, it, it's horrifying when you think about it, you know. Um, the emphasis which we put on work in our society. And for, in the book, I talk about, you know, how people get their personal identity through their jobs in our culture, which is some sort of, uh, you know, very misguided thing. Um, if two guys meet in a bar, the first thing yeah. they'll ask each other is, um, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you do? And yeah. um, it's particularly grotesque where I live in Los Angeles because people are always trying to... Uh, I don't know what the word is. Um, I'll say it very strongly: uh, manipulate or use other people to advance their own careers. So, if you, mm. so if you're in a conversation and you know, you can see this happen all the time. Like, like, if you say, "Oh yeah, my cousin is Steven Spielberg," like everyone will be your best friend, and they'll, right. if, you know. But if you say, "You know, my cousin is an undertaker, and uh, you know, I like to just sit sit around and do nothing," people just, you know, they really are con- so obsessed. With success, and unfortunately, as I stated in the book, that is success on someone else's terms. You know, like there's, there, there, we have this crazy thing called the American Dream, where you own a house and you go two hundred twenty thousand dollars into debt, and you, you know, you have a nice car, and you're showing all this exterior stuff to the world world but all those things have no correlation to happiness so what i'm trying to do is to get people to you know there's this beautiful quote that i i I quote in the book it's by bob dylan he says success is when a man wakes up in the morning does what he wants to do during the day and goes to sleep at night that's success you know so as opposed to like you know taking vacations in exotic places and going to ivy league schools and having all the the measures of success that are making people crazy today you know right. like let, let's reevaluate this definition of success because the one thing that correlates strongly with happiness is the quality of our intimate relationships the way we attach to people and yet mm-hmm. there's no classes in our schools on how to have intimate relationships or How to securely attach, or how to be loving and compassionate? You know, we're just taught to be competitive, and to you know, you have your best friends when you're in fifth and sixth and seventh grade, but you know, like you're you're trying to get A's and they're trying to get A's, and so you're ending up competing against the people who you love the most. So there's some sort of insanity in our the way we raise children, and so I'm taking a look at that in this book.
1: Got it. So, action drive for a moment. Think about success. Are you living your life? you know, do you define success in terms of what you really want or what society has defined for you? And what we're learning today is one way to look at it is success is doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Now, uh, uh, Ira, let's talk about the inner child for a moment. For those who are new to this, who is this inner child in the adult's mind?
2: So things happen when we're children that are often extremely traumatizing. And the way our our mind's primary function is, is to try to stave off potential future trauma. So what happens for most children is, let's say uh, they're bullied in the schoolyard, or you know there's some kind of humiliation or embarrassment, something that feels really negative, and their mind says, "Wow, that was awful. I am never going to let that happen again. So I'm going to lift weights, or become rich, or be the smart person, or be the sexy person." And we develop our way of being in the world based on those traumas. And what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is that, you know, as opposed to our wounds defining who we are for the rest of our lives, what I'm espousing is congruence, meaning that at some point in time, maybe when we're 25 or 35 or 45, instead of just being a bundle of reactions, that we decide who we want to be, and then we implement tools to be that person. So there's one quote I I use in my classes. I say, we become what we love and we become what we hate, and both are inauthentic. So what I'm saying is that children see qualities in their caregivers and parents, older siblings, and they, they imitate them and mm. they you know and, and so because they want those people to give them acceptance, approval, and love, and then there's this thing called the individuation process where the kids do the opposite because they, they rebel in order to proclaim their individuality that they're different. And this is, yeah. uh, you know, so so essentially we're this weird mix of conflicting um, uh, desires that are usually, you know, traceable back to our caregivers. like like we, we want to be like some and we don't want to be like them also. So what I'm saying is like, let's take a look at all these things, develop a narrative. Like, um, you know, it's very common in our culture that like one parent was aloof or emotionally withholding and another parent w- was a little bit, uh, maybe smothering or enabling. So yeah. what I'm saying is all of these things affect who we are later in life. If you want, I, I mean, I'll, there's a beautiful quote by Harville Hendricks. He says the subconscious purpose of marriage in america is to enable us to complete our childhoods our parents had deficits those deficits wounded us those wounds became defense mechanisms and those defense mechanisms became our personalities and we'll always be attracted to people who can replicate the dynamics from one or more of our primary caregivers and i saw marianne williamson two months ago and she said and if people around us can't replicate the dynamics we'll train them to." So mm. we have certain dynamics that we're used to and uh, we get used to. And, you know, um, those are later in life. They're, they're triggers for things. Um, whether they're positive or negative. And I'm saying that like all of that is inauthentic. Like let's really figure out what, what, what it'll take for us to show up, be vulnerable, be loving, be compassionate and be our highest selves.
1: Got it. Got it. Uh, now you also write about, uh, the concept of having an authentic connection right uh, i mean uh, since we're talking about childhood and our relationship with the world around us w- what is your definition of an authentic connection
2: well for me um once we know our attachment dynamics whether we can attach securely because our parents provided a loving uh, uh holding space for us when we were children that's Obviously, the minority of children. Um, so once we know right. that, like, let's say we're avoidant, or we attach insecurely, or you know, we we get triggered really easily and we flee, or you know, we're intolerant and things like that. Um, we have to be able to attune to other people. That's one of the components of authenticity, and um, it's really. Um, I, you know, a, I use the analogy in the book of when the orchestra tunes to the first violins. So the first violinist comes out and she, he or she, you know, plays a note and then the whole orchestra tunes to that. So, right. so that's a, that's an analogy. And in psychotherapy, it means eye contact, having the same facial affect, like your cheeks are the same and your forehead's the same, and you're really um, sitting with another human being and, and, and connecting with them with with real empathy. Like you really f- try to sink in and feel their emotions. So one mm-hmm. of the quotes in the book is, mirror neurons do not fire via text message. So, you know, all of this technology, Facebook and Instagram and all these things, is deluding us into thinking that we're connected. Connecting with people, but there's something about sitting in a room with another person, giving another human being a hug, giving someone a pat on the back, like throwing a football, having breaking bread with somebody—that we really we don't understand how precious that all those interactions are. Like, I mean, I really—you can't do psychotherapy uh, via text message. You know, you can't (laughs) do these things because you really need to be there with the person. Got it. Uh...
1: Now, you, you, you've spoken about a few factors. You've spoken about uh, texting and, and, and being on Facebook. But just so that some of our listeners can visualize, what are some factors that prevent us from having that really authentic connection with somebody in the same room maybe?
2: Well, I'll go back to another thing that I talk about in the book. So for me, language creates reality. And okay. um, you know, there's this horrible phenomenon that happens where I live in Long Los Angeles is called double booking so people make like several plans and then basically they send a text message which is a complete lie like oh you know crazy busy or I'm in traffic I can't go there and then you find out that they went to some other party or you know it's really Mm. so for me it's um it's about being your word and really you know you're not always looking to trade up like to to say no like I'm, I'm i'm cultivating a loving relationship with this person just because i got invited to the academy awards like doesn't mean that i'm gonna cancel my plans with this person who i with whom i'm cultivating a relationship so it's about having you know um the most compassionate priorities with people and not just looking for ego gratification
1: Got it, got it. And you also sp- speak about, uh, and you write about uh, the concept of resentment. Uh, could you talk to us about resentment and how it appears in our lives uh, and, and what role does it play as well?
2: Sure. Resentment is wanting anything that you can't change to be different. Like, and it's a, okay. you know, I make a joke and I say, if you came home tonight and saw your wife or husband or kid like sitting on the sofa trying to shove a square peg into a round hole, you would walk over and stop them. And this is what your mind does all day long. Your mind says, oh, I'd be happy now if I went to Harvard. I'd be happy if I was married. I'd be happy if I wasn't married. I'd be happy if I was a lawyer. I'd be happy if I wasn't a lawyer. And your mind just creates these hypothetical craziness, you know, situations that have no correlation to reality. So resentment, you know, the joke from the 12-step program is resentment is like poking yourself in the eye and waiting for someone else to go blind. Or resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for someone else to get sick. Whenever you want reality to be different and you can't change it, that's a resentment. Okay. And it's something in your past that you, your mind says, well, you know, if I were just two feet taller, I could be a professional basketball player. Or if I had won the lottery when I was 20 years old, you know, I'd be happy now. Or, you know, if this thing, if my parents hadn't gotten divorced, I'd be happy now. So for me, you know, this is where acceptance comes into play because we have to either, this is Eckhart Tolle when he says, we, we can, we have to change the things that we can change and accept the things we can't. And any other position is insane. Meaning mm-hmm. that like, if you want like world war two, not to have taken place, that's insanity, right? Cause world mm-hmm. war two did take place. And it's yeah. the same thing with our, our personal lives. You know, if you, are, you know, uh, fuming about, uh, somebody breaking your heart five years ago, then yeah. you're only hurting yourself because that person has moved on. And, you know, you're just, you're just, uh, you're skipped. The word récentiment, récentiment in French, uh, is again, and sentiment is, is feeling. So you're feeling things from situations that are long gone. And yeah. the only way to clean that up is through acceptance and forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Acceptance and forgiveness, that's that's really powerful because what comes to my mind is that, like we're speaking today, there are so many uh, childhood memories uh, or maybe traumas, ways that people interacted with us or misbehaved with us, and those are still in our mind. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we can't go back in time and change it. And so the solution, as you say, is sort of first accepting that it happened and the fact that you cannot change it, but also forgiving yeah. the person.
2: Well, there's a beautiful quote that says this better than I can. It's by Lily Tomlin. She says, "Forgive." Forgiveness means giving up all hope of having a better past mm. forgiveness means giving up all hope of having a better past i mean your past is what it is right there's a beautiful quote from hamlet when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern come in that he says there's nothing good or bad but thinking makes it so right, right. there's nothing good or bad out there in the objective objective world but our thinking of things and it's interesting to me because again this is why i believe everything is maya because it's changing you know today when your wife walks in and says i want a divorce then it's very bad and she's a bad person but in 10 years you know when you moved on she moved on you could look back and say wow like it was such an incredible learning experience and you know i'm so grateful for the time we spent together and the beautiful kids we made but in the moment it's always you know when the trauma is so close it's all it's Mm -hmm. impossible to see it as um you know as a as a growth opportunity as it's called it. but um, no. yeah it's
1: very interesting got it got it so I, I love the fact that you pointed out the difference uh, between illusion and illusory mm-hmm. uh, which is the meaning of maya uh, which is uh, uh, not illusion but the fact that everything is changing yep. and this too shall pass and as you look back at your memories you will realize that the fact that th- those memories I mean those, those incidents have, have now become memory today will also become yesterday and things are just changing and that's just how it is
2: and this is also why it's important to have a basic understanding of of how you believe the universe is operating there's a beautiful quote by einstein he says you can either believe that nothing is a miracle Mm. or that everything is a miracle and you know that makes a big difference if you are looking at your interactions whether it's at the the local cafe or in your yoga class or you know like me and you doing this thing over the internet like this is a miracle all these things are are miracles you know that that this mm-hmm. technology exists that you and I are interacting i have no idea you know if there's somebody listening someplace and they're eyeing the laser blade in their bathroom with lust right now and you know like you never, <laughs> you never know yeah. what effect all these things uh, that are so infinite are, are you know they're they're coming together in terms of physics. You know, I was I was taught it's about probability waves. So there are right. probability waves that converge, and you know various things happen, whether it's car accidents or people going to the moon or you know tragedies and things like mm-hmm. that. So again. Yeah. It's, this this inspires everyone to ho- to show up as their highest self if you understand like that's how the universe is operating
1: wonderful so based on what we're discussing today and what you're sharing today it's obvious that uh, you know when we transition from being a child to an adult, we obviously have these subconscious beliefs in our mind and these assumptions, right? Which may or may, or may not serve us. So how does a person go about becoming firstly aware of these subconscious beliefs or assumptions? What, is there a process that...
0: Uh,
2: yeah, well, this is exactly the purpose of psychotherapy. Uh, it is to have someone show up as a mirror and okay. reflect back to you. I mean, a lot of times, this is what happens in intimate relationships and that's why they go awry because you're you are using the person as a mirror and you're projecting things onto them uh you're projecting your own insecurities and your own craziness and you can't see it until 20 years later when you look back and you say like wow i really established that i really messed up that relationship because i was just projecting all of my own insecurities onto this other person so uh, you know that's why i think psychotherapy is Great, because you know you go in a room with another person, and they're trained to mirror back things to you very quickly, so you don't have right. to torture all the loved ones in your life got
1: it now 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 uh, ira in your book you give a lot of praise to your childhood like curiosity and i just uh, finished reading uh, the biography of uh, leonardo da vinci yeah and based on what i've heard uh, you know many people really thrive including yourself on this childhood like curiosity so for the benefit of, of our listeners what exactly is this childhood curiosity and how does one develop it
2: <laughs> well it, that's, it's it's I call it a sense of wonder, meaning that, okay. you know, there there's infinite things. So, okay, language is a cage, firstly. And so, you know, um, that should inspire us all to learn other languages, right? Because you're, you're trapped. If you only speak English, then you're trapped in, in one particular paradigm. You're trapped in one cage. So for me, um, the first thing that was always important to me is learning another language. Because I'm actually, um, I love uh, French and, I, and I, I'm a totally different person when I'm speaking French. I, I, okay. It's really fascinating to me to watch myself in conversation um, and how ebullient and um, I'm just like a, yeah, it's really lovely. So um, so the first thing to do is um, understand that there's, you know, we live in Western civilization and then there's obviously other cultures out there, but just within Western civilization, there's this incredible canon of literature uh, there's uh, infinite amount of, of artwork and uh, music, and there's so many things that are out there that can constantly inspire us. You know, there's a phrase that um, goes like this, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, mm-hmm. meaning that, you know, there's so many fascinating human beings who have come before us and have asked the similar questions to the ones that we're asking. So, you know, if you understand that that knowledge itself is infinite. And that, um, you know, on the one hand, there's a paradox because we don't really want information. We don't want to just, like, you know, be storehouses of information. Um, yeah. we, want to, we want transformation. We want to transform our society into a more harmonious, loving place where people are happy. So we, but for me, having that sense of wonder means going to museums. Like yesterday, I just got the new uh, St. Vincent album, because you know, okay. and so like I read, I read a lot of lists. I read a lot of movies. I, um, I go I to a lot of movies. Um, every Friday morning, I read the New York Times. Uh, Dargas Dargis, and I, I find out what films she likes. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw this weekend. I saw, or these past two days, I saw *I Tanya* and um, *The Shapes Shape of Shapes of Water* and. And, you know, like, there's just an, literally so many people doing fascinating things that I can never be bored. I mean, I really just wish that I could just indulge myself and go down rabbit holes all the time. Um, yeah. And then like, when I got home last night, there's a the philosopher Slavoj Žižek. Uh, he, he gave a couple. He gives infinite talks on YouTube. So, you know, we're... Living in this, with the internet, is just the greatest thing ever because you don't have to leave your, your home. You could, you know, when right. I was a kid, I had to go to a library and take out books. You know, I just like type something into Google and I'm learning about, the uh, Deleuze or uh, yeah. or, uh, or, or Jacques Khan and I can watch videos. And people, have, you know, um, I love Alain de Boton uh, in, in England. He's made all these incredible videos explaining like Derrida, and all. They're funny, they're animated, and he's so um, passionate, like I am. So it's great to see other people who are just like going down rabbit holes, and then you know, at some point in time, wanting to give back and teach and inspire people. People and it's really you know I don't know it's never ending for me. I'm like you know I'm taking classes <laughs> at, at UCLA right now. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take classes the rest of my life. I have three graduate degrees. I've never not taken some form of education uh, because that's what I thrive on.
1: Wonderful and uh, thanks a lot for sharing that perspective Ira here in Vancouver we're really blessed with a lot of art uh, and music and movies as well uh, I try to make it a point to visit the Chan Center uh, to listen to some philharmonic live music uh, you know every once in a while because that really it really changes my perspective it you know, exposes me to some wonderful live music and uh, makes me think in different ways as well and also So ever since I got to learn about uh, The Hero's Journey by uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, whenever I go to a movie, I look at it in a completely different way, you know. So I'm analyzing the movie and understanding, you know, what is going to happen next, scene by scene. And, you know, it's so wonderful to just be curious and to be open to whatever art music and literature can provide to you so it's it's fascinating and i'd like to propose a question to our listeners today is uh, how do you think your life can change or will change once you adopt or re-engage with your childhood curiosity think about that for a second <laughs> and uh, i what is it one action step that you like to recommend for someone listening to the show right now who wants to uh, change their life
2: if you want to change your life the first thing to analyze is your languaging. and um, also the way we show up for other people is, um, is changeable. So that's the first thing like w- like trying to figure out a new way of saying things, a new way of speaking to some mm-hmm. people in your lives where there's tension. There's one, there's one phrase that comes to mind. Someone taught it to me about 20 years ago, um, and it goes like this. Uh, like let's say for your mom or your dad you say uh, mom please forgive me for not understanding the way you chose to show your love for me and you just stop and your mom will understand that uh, you know maybe when she grounded you or smacked you or you know treated your sibling better you know that that affected you and Learning language that does not blame anybody, right? And this is why I talk about Marshall Rosenberg's um, nonviolent communications. Because once you start a conversation from a vulnerable place and take responsibility for your own emotional experience, it leaves room for the other person to show up in a similar manner. So that's what I'm really interested in. I mean, those are the first things. When I have couples in my office all the time, I go through incredibly positive moving experiences because, the, you know, we all just defense mechanisms. And if you if you feel attacked, I mean, I, I use the analogy in the book. I actually say this in the it, I think it's the first line of the book. Like if your body is stabbed, what happens is every muscle in it tenses up. And, mm-hmm. and so it can't be it can't it, like it, the muscles become so hard so that it can't be stabbed again. And that's what language is like also. So if you show up for a person and you're blaming, then all their muscles will tense up and they'll be defensive. So instead, like you have to show up in a very um, loving, compassionate, vulnerable way and just um, inspire them to want to be their highest self. So that's that's my only advice. And it's not it's not easy but you know, learning to show up with for people who, like an older brother or sister, someone who's uh, who's caused you a lot of uh, stress and, and anxiety, and, and maybe harmed you in some way, and just you know, owning that, owning your emotional experience, that, that that could open a lot of new doors.
1: Wonderful. All I can say is that that is some really incredible healing advice. And many of our listeners have probably noted that sentence down as well to use in their family as well as with their uh, friends. To read the entire show notes action drive for today's episode, including the inspirational quote, the book recommendation and certain nuggets of wisdom that you might not be able to capture right away. Visit our website, my7chakras.com forward slash 247. That's the episode number, my7chakras.com forward slash 247. 7. Where you stumble, there your treasure lies. This is a wonderful quote by Joseph Campbell, Action Tribe, sometimes in life you can't help but stumbling. Sometimes you are hurt, sometimes you experience a setback or failure, maybe as a child as well. All these things come into your life without any warning. But instead of ignoring what just happened in your life, it is also important to recognize and respect those moments when you fell down. Because within those moments are opportunities to learn and grow. Sometimes these moments might illuminate a weakness inside of you. Sometimes these moments can spark an unpredictable alliance or fellowship if you reach out to someone. And sometimes in these moments lies a message from your higher self or your spirit guides whatever the situation might be don't ignore the moments when you stumble or fall down instead give it the respect and attention it deserves because just like joseph campbell once shared and once so wonderfully put it is there that your treasure lies so ira talk to us about one major life challenge that you had to go through what was the challenge like and then uh, how did you overcome it finally
2: well for me i attended a workshop at Cal Berkeley on um, Compassion in 2009. And the teachers were Fred Luskin, who wrote Forgive for Good, and Rick Hansen, who wrote The Buddha's Brain. And um, as I mentioned before, there was a car accident in 1985, and I was very badly hurt, and I carried around a lot of resentment and a lot of uh, anger and grudges. And so, um, you know, the, those lines that I stated before, you know, you're only hurting yourself by creating these resentments. That's where I learned it. And so um, after that conference, I went home and I just as an exercise wrote like a, it ended up being like a three or four page letter to the person who was driving the car uh, during the car accident. And um, I just put it away. I had no intention of ever sending it. And then I woke up the next morning and I, wrote it, I read it again. And I was like, well, you know, uh, what's the worst that could happen? And so I found this person, uh, the driver of the car, on Facebook. And I actually created a, uh, a, a new account. Because one of the definitions of forgiveness that uh, Fred Buskin gives is that forgiveness does not mean condoning someone else's behavior. For- forgiveness means giving up your right to resent that something happened. It doesn't mean you have to be friends with this person, it doesn't mean you have to invite them over for dinner, you just have to release your right to resent that this you know, car accident or whatever thing happened. So um, I created the Facebook account, I friended this person, I sent the letter. And I, I actually kind of forgot about it. But um, I went to work that day. Uh, I saw patients all day. And I got home. It was probably like 6 o'clock at night. And I was like, oh, uh, let me just, I'm sure nothing happened. But let me just just check to make sure. And uh, the driver of the car ended up it seemed spending a great deal of that day after, you know, we hadn't spoken in 29 years. And um, he wrote me a very long, heartfelt letter. He showed up like a total gentleman and I was blown away, and I was very emotional, and um, we ended up conversing for the whole week, and going back and forth, he was in a different t- time zone, so we ended up, you know, s- we were sending things at odd hours, and I would wake up, and there would be a long letter, and then at the end of the week, he, you know, he, he told me about how, um, you know, um, sorry, uh, you know, and, uh, all the, the pain, uh, we had caused and, um, and I, it just came out of me. It just said, well, if it'll help you, you know, move on in any way, I forgive you. And I hit send and I deleted the account because, you know, as I learned, it doesn't mean you have to be friends with this person. You don't have to let them in your life forever or anything. It just, you just have to find some ritual to release your resentment. And for me, you know, releasing all those resentments and and the grudges and and being angry about things I can't change, you know, really bought me 50 years of freedom. So, um, you know, I talk to people uh, in in my classes. I'm like, well, you know, are are you willing to forgive, you know, because unforgiveness means you're just not done suffering yet so you know if you want to be free there's only there's only one path there's no no plan b if you want to be free forgive everyone
1: well thanks a lot for sharing that story with us uh, ira Uh, if you had to share one major life lesson with our listeners from your story what would that be
2: that's funny um so uh, i'm so blessed that i have like Mary Marianne Williamson and Reverend Michael um, uh, Beckwith and Sting and all these people who love my book and, and have given quotes to it, but um, Catherine Woodward Thomas, she gave me some of the best advice. So we were taking a walk on the beach about a month ago, and um, you know she she wrote um, "Calling in the One" and "Conscious Uncomplicating," and, and she's just a really brilliant, loving human being. And um, and I told her about one of the situations in in my life, and she just turned to me and she said. Is this the hill you want to die on? Mm. And to me, this is—that's really interesting. It's like you know, like like as an adult person, you know, your mind, you know, holds on to these things like this injustice. Like I should be paid more, or this shouldn't have happened, or I shouldn't have been fired, or why didn't that person do this? And you know, and mm. and so there's so, there's a couple. Of phrases that I used in my head. That this one I got from Catherine is this the hill you want to die on? Like, is this worth fighting for? Because basically, you're going to lose. And and you know, this is not. So you know, the other phrase in my head was, um, you know, like this doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, you know, if someone's trying to, uh, you know, get my go and and just to exacerbate a situation, I'll just uh, try to deflect it and show up as pure love. And I've been doing that. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's, that's, that, that phrase really helps me uh, get through things that would normally, you know, white like wound my ego.
1: Well, thanks a lot, uh, Ira for sharing your incredibly uh, inspiring story. You mentioned that you had attended this workshop on compassion in 2009. And at that point, because of the car accident that you were in, you still had uh, a level of resentment and anger within you. But you learned something from the conference and then you went back home and you wrote a letter to the person who was driving that car on that fateful day when you had the accident. Uh, you you, you found out who was that person and you sent the person a message on Facebook and then you forgot about it. And uh, surprisingly, you actually received a letter from the driver who ended up, uh, you know, uh, saying sorry for what happened on that day. And you actually had a lot of back and forth, as you mentioned. And, you know, he said sorry, the person said sorry, and you forgave that person which helped you a lot. And like you mentioned, 50 years of freedom, so to speak. Uh, What you taught us today was that forgiveness, Action Tribe, forgiveness really means giving up your right to resent for what happened sometime in the past. And that I think is really, really powerful. So thanks a lot for sharing that Ira. You're welcome. Wonderful. So Action Tribe, if you're enjoying the show so far, then feel free to connect with me on social media by sharing something you learned today. Is there something new you learned? Is there a piece of wisdom that touched you? Whatever your post is, make sure you use the hashtags, hashtag my7chakras and hashtag action tribe. Now for a moment, I want to talk about the concept of struggling. Our society has given a negative connotation to the word struggle, which has made people avoid the word struggle and look for shortcuts in life, look for good experience in life like we're learning today. Now shortcuts are good sometimes to avoid reinventing the wheel. It's great read books, listen to podcasts, take workshops or courses that will help you stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, so that you can be that uh, curious child that you always were meant to be. But in my experience, after a certain point, you have to go through the struggle. It's unavoidable. At that point, it's just you and the universe. It's you going through the challenge after challenge after challenge, learning, growing and becoming wiser each day. Challenges of health or relationships or finance or some other kind might come in your life. If you're in this stage, then fear not because you are not alone. The struggle is part of the journey. There is no shortcut for this part. But there is one thing that will make your journey worthwhile. What is that one thing? It is finding your calling. Because once you do, there is no challenge that is too strong to keep you from your destiny. Because just like Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning, once put... What man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for some goal worthy of him. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. And having said that, uh, uh, we have arrived at the last round for today, which is called the wisdom round. Which is sort of like a rapid fire round comprising of four questions. So, are you ready for that? I am. Great. So, what is the best advice that someone has ever given
2: you? Um, I'll just go right back to, to Catherine, which is: uh, "Is this the hill you want to die on?" Like, we have to be really careful about the fights we choose, and uh, you know, we have to really use our energy to try to make the world a better place. So, you know, um, don't sweat the small stuff is another way of saying it. But really, the things that we think that are important in the present moment. Um, And this is one of the benefits of mindfulness, uh, meditation, being able to observe our thoughts and not having to Mm -hmm. listen to us or not let them um, enervate us, uh, you know, and make us uh, or irritate us and make us angry. You know, just being able to say, I am not my thoughts and be able to disidentify with them and, you know. Choose the ones that are going to bring you the most uh, loving interactions.
1: Name one personal habit that keeps you going, keeps you strong.
2: My habit, yes. Uh, you know, it's funny. This is—I don't know how, uh, how this will sound, but like I, my—I have a, a an emotionally deranged cat, and we have a very interesting, somewhat codependent relationship. And so, the habit really is just the way she wakes me up in the morning by uh, jumping around my head and uh, screaming. <laughs> bloody murder so i don't know if that constitutes a habit because um you know after that i have to get up and and feed her and make my smoothie and things like that but um there's something about um my interaction with her every morning that is both uh surprising and just full of joy
1: great so what is your morning routine like do you have a morning routine these days
2: yeah it, t- it takes me about an hour i mean it, t- it is uh, comprised mostly of uh, responding for to emails from europe and new york and and places and time zones that are uh, ahead of me, and being in Los Angeles, and um, I, 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 I write. I mean, I, I mean, in some, I, be, I joke and I say I write my best work in my sleep. But when when I when I wake up, I, I'm normally full of you know some sort of idea, something I should do. I don't know what it is, uh, and maybe you know it ends up as a blog, or maybe it ends up as a as a little note someplace, or a chapter in a book, or there's always things that like when i go to sleep i kind of set myself into ruminating and chewing over okay and then uh when i wake up in the morning there's always some kind of like a uh, little gift where i'm like wow i you know i didn't think about that yesterday i should really consider this or i should do an online course or i should you know do that or go to this yoga class or i need to go to this exhibit or you know so i wake up in the morning and i just like kind of uh, download everything that's gone on in the past 24 hours and then try to make some decisions about how I should conduct that day.
1: Wonderful. So name one book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners today.
2: You know what? uh, Radical Acceptance. And I mentioned this, and I I actually used the word, but Radical Acceptance by Tara Brach. Embracing Your Life with the Heart of a Buddha was really transformational for me. And, you know, I I, I really feel there's no... I I I mentioned in the book Buddhism is not a religion. Buddhism is a prescription to alleviate suffering. So you don't have to you know believe in any or not believe in any you know overreaching doctrines or anything. I mean Buddhism is a a psychological tool, and so um, any entry way into it, whether it's Eckhart Tolle's Power of Now or Tyler Brock's Radical Acceptance, you know, any entryway into getting um, uh, the taste of, of, of Buddhism you know I think that'll help everybody it would make the world a much more um, loving place
1: well thanks a lot for recommending Action Tribe if you'd like this uh, if if you'd like to listen to this book uh, for free right away which is Radical Acceptance by Tara Brach then listen away Uh, I know how much you guys love our book recommendations and many of you get these books as soon as you hear them shared on the show audible.com is offering Action Tribe one free audiobook download with a free 30 day trial so that you can get to check out their service now in case you don't know, uh, Audible has over hundred and eighty thousand titles to choose from for your various devices, including bestsellers like The Chakra System by anadia Judith, Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, and a new earth by Ekartoli, as well as Radical Acceptance by Tara Brack. To download your free audiobook today, go to my sevenchakras.com forward slash freebook. Once again, that's our website, my sevenchakras.com forward slash freebook to start listening to this book. Daira, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on your, on our show and learning so much from you. Uh, before you go, tell us one thing that you're grateful for and how we can find you online.
2: I am grateful for this time of year because things kind of just thin out a little bit, and it's a really mm. nice time to take a breath. I went, to, I got up there early this morning. I went to a, a lovely yoga class. I'm practicing yoga every morning, and I'm so it's such an incredible privilege to um you know and it's also i mean for us it's freezing out here right now it's like 55 uh you know everyone's like bundled up in down coats uh so but i have to understand because i grew up in connecticut where there's like a foot of snow right now so you know like having lovely weather having uh nice meals and having the ability to go to yoga classes is that's what I'm grateful for right now.
1: Wonderful. And how can we find you online? Um,
2: www.iraisrael.com has free videos. You can also go to Amazon Prime and look at all my uh, DVDs for free. And then um, also on Audible, I've read my book, How to Survive Your Childhood, now that you're an adult. So, um, And people are telling me I've been getting a lot of really nice um, text messages and emails from people all over the world world saying that my reading of my book is really interesting um i you know obviously i live with myself and so i don't realize that there's a certain way that i enunciate things or um there's a certain alliteration or the way i i speak but um, people are liking my reading of the book
1: Got it. So first of all, thank you so much for taking your time today, uh, even though it's the holiday season. And, you know, like you mentioned, time is really special at this point of the year for taking your time and, you know, uh, joining me for today's show. I'm sure our listeners are really, really grateful for that action tribe. Uh, to learn more about Ira, go to iraisrael.com. Uh, you can also pick up this book for free, uh, uh, going to my7chakras.com. Forward slash free book, How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, uh, is available on Audible. Uh, and of course, on Amazon Prime, you can listen or watch more of uh, Ira's stuff. So, Ira, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking to us about our inner child and taking us one step closer to a human revolution.
2: Thank you, AJ. You're listening to My Seven Chakras. Go to my S-E-V-E-N, Chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired and take action. Transform your life today.